Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we are having a very unique conversation in that Bruce and I are getting a great opportunity to share and talk with one of the advisors on the Money Advantage team and help you not only get to know more of the Money Advantage team, but also share a fresh perspective about life insurance that we haven't covered from this exact angle before. So I trust that you are going to find this conversation very inspiring and enlightening and really help you have a change of mindset in something that is really important about life insurance. And so I'll just give you a quick teaser of the title. This is called The Most Underrated Power of Life Insurance. I'm going to leave the main topic off until Riley is sharing that with us today. So first, welcome Bruce to the show this morning. Boy, Rachel, I mean, you're, you're really good at writing, um, writing topic headlines. But, you know, as I hear that in my voice, I'm thinking, I already know what we're going to be talking about. And I'm thinking, how did we get to this point where what we're going to be talking about is that the death benefit is like the most underrated part of life insurance when that was how it was designed the very mm-hmm. beginning. We've gotten so off topic with this powerful financial tool that I think this is great timing for this uh, podcast to bring to bring everybody back around to the, the this powerful um, thing that really the protection w- w- is going to open up so many things in a person's life. And, and Riley is really good at bringing that to the forefront. So I'm so glad we have him on the show today. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and bring Riley into the show. So Riley, uh, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and for joining us for this conversation. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity both uh, to you and Bruce. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and just first share a little bit about, again, I mentioned that you're one of the advisors on the Money Advantage team. You've served as a client coordinator, also as a lead advisor, and you're in a position where you are working with Money Advantage clients on a regular basis. How did that happen? And share a little bit of your background that led up to you being in the financial services industry in the first place. Yeah. So, uh, First of all, again, I'm very thankful to be here. It's been a been an honor to be able to get to know you and Bruce and everybody better. Um, but really, to back up, um, I had a pretty normal. I'm a kid from Illinois, uh, actually just a few hours uh, straight north of, of Bruce in St. Louis. I was what they call a river rat uh, on the Mississippi River, <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. I had a yeah, I had a had a fantastic childhood, um, and really from an early age. Uh, I just, I knew that I wanted to be uh, helping people and I knew that um, in some way, shape or form that was going to really be shaping my life. And so I got involved in, in sports and athletics and um, that really uh, allowed me to pursue a career in athletic training and eventually physical therapy and I promise there is a purpose to this. Um, No, this is awesome. And, and you played baseball as well, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I, uh, the good Lord gave me a, a little bit of ability back in the day, many, many years ago. I had a That's lot awesome. more hair and everything else, but uh, it, <laughs> it, was, it was a blessing. It was something that my dad and I were able to share um, a significant amount of time with. And uh, just we still, we still do that today. 
you know. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but it really just it really shaped um, my career and my life. And uh, I'll, I'll just share a quick story. I was uh, I didn't know this story until I was 18 years old, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I think this will help give people a little uh, insight into how I, I like to help people, but I was a little snot-nosed kid, like three or four years old, and I was over at the babysitters. I wasn't in school yet, and there was this neighbor lady sitting outside um, on her porch. Her name's Janet, and again, I was like three or four years old, and she was smoking a cigarette, <laughs> and I would never do this today probably, but I, I trooped over there, and I knew enough at that age that smoking was bad for you, uh-huh. and so I had enough you-know-what in me to say, you know, that's bad for you, right? And she just looked at me. I, I don't recall this, but she told me this story. I kid you not, 14 years later at high school graduation. Oh, because, wow. and she was almost um, emotional about it because she never smoked a cigarette from that day forward. Oh my gosh, I just got chills. That is so cool. Oh my goodness. So the only reason I know this is because Janet uh, grew to be really, really good friends with my aunt. And Janet came to my high school graduation and told me this story. She's like, you changed my life. Oh, that's so cool. I had no idea. Um, So from three or four years old, however old I was, I think that there was something there that I just knew that I wanted to help people. I didn't always know how that was going to be, but that's really how I started to pursue. I love athletics. I love sports. Uh, That's something Bruce and I talk a lot about in our time together. And um, it was another way for me to help people. And that's, that's awesome. why I pursued uh, getting my, my degree in physical therapy. That's awesome. So how did you go from physical therapy to financial services, specifically whole life insurance? Yeah. If I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me that, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be pretty well off. You um, should start charging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. I, uh, I, I'll never forget the day I was uh, in the PT clinic. I had a long day, and I first of all, I want to preface: I love physical therapy. I, I truly do miss it. Sometimes I miss the people that I worked with, especially they were. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic place to be. Um, I, I miss the patients uh, to be able to work with them. But um, I had a long day, 10, 11 hour day. I had seen probably 15, 16 patients in a day, which was a full day. And I got home, and I still had about I had about a foot pile high of documentation and paperwork to do. And it was like seven o'clock at night. I hadn't seen any of my friends or family. I hadn't worked out. Haven't really hadn't really done any of the outside things that I enjoyed doing so much. And I just kind of sat back on my couch and I looked at the paperwork and I was like, "What am I doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I building here? What what kind of life am I setting myself up for and creating?" And I don't know if it was a switch. I don't know what it was. But from that moment on, I I decided that I was going to start building my career around the life that I wanted instead of the opposite. And I think, again, I don't know why that happened, but literally within a week, I kid you not, within a week, an opportunity presented itself to start with a small company in the financial services industry. And I did that. I I did that on a part-time basis, just in the evenings, on the weekends, and it eventually grew to, you know, where I'm at today, um, meeting you and Bruce a, a few years ago down in St. Louis. So that's awesome. And I think it's just really interesting. I think all of our clients and anyone who's listening would really resonate with that whole idea. I mean, first of all, with the story of wanting to help people, I think that's just profound, but, uh, and following that train and that thread from that three to four year old Riley to who you are now. 
and how you're still that same person. I think that's profound and amazing. But then also this idea of I want to create the life that I want to live and how can I build a career that supports that? I think that's probably the motivation for almost anybody who jumps over into some form of entrepreneurship or starting a business and being in a position where they say, really, I want to take control of my own life and financial destiny. Right. So Riley, Riley, before we go much further, you know, I know the background of your mother and father and they weren't really business owners. Were, was there anybody close in your life that was, and you, you, you took that leap of faith because of that person? A great question. I so my grandfather, my my mom's dad was a business owner. Oh wow! And I never I never really connected the dots, though I knew that he was successful. He was very good at what he did. Um, he uh, he repaired cars. He was a body man. I mean, he and it's kind of a lost art, I think, nowadays. Um, but he was so skilled in what he did, and he took so much pride in that. And I, I remember there'd be times I'd want to go out to the golf course. It was a Monday morning at. 10 o'clock and he'd be the one that would take me to and from the golf course. I'm like, how is this guy able to go do this? How is he able to pick me up? My mom and dad are at work. And so I don't know if that was a subconscious thing in my head, but he was always there, you know, for those kinds of things. And even my grandma, his wife, um, but he was a business owner and, and my other grandfather was as well. Um, so I think subconsciously that's probably always been there. But I also saw my dad was a mailman for 40 years. He walked. 15 to 20 miles a day. And I saw how hard that was. I mean, physically, mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, and um, again, had a great life, but uh, it would always struck me because I would always ask him to play catch when he got back from work. And I, there was not one time where he said no, even though I know for a fact, that's the last thing he wanted to do sometimes. Oh, wow. Um, so it was, I, I think that also spawned a little bit of entrepreneurship that, you know, he, he worked a long, hard career, very successful, mm -hmm. um, but he also sometimes didn't have the time or the money freedom that I know he would have liked. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I think um, we all take steps of faith based on what we've seen and what, what our goals are. And I think we do have those roots that come from our family history and, and also really just the environment that we've grown up in as well. So let's fast forward to a little bit here. So why is life insurance important to you personally? And then we're going to kind of pivot into your perspective on life insurance and really kind of really uncover why the death benefit is so extremely valuable for anyone in their financial life. Yeah, and I think that answer has probably evolved. If you would have asked me that, say, a year or even two years ago, I think my answer probably was different. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the first thing that I think of is when I think of my own family, uh, my wife, Stephanie, I mean, I think I want her to have just as good a life, whether I'm here or not. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, the first thing that I think of when I think of life insurance, it's, it's truly to protect families. And, you know, one of the questions I sometimes ask people, do you have the same aspirations for your family, whether you're here or not? And every time, 100% of the time, well, of course I do. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's make sure that, you know, that happens. So that's the first answer. But I guess as I've grown, learned from both you and Bruce and just sitting down with people and with clients, that answer has changed from the standpoint that it gives you so much more control and flexibility and options. Mm -hmm. uh, I know we'll probably dive into more details, but I think if I had to give you one specific answer, 
it's it's not death insurance it's life insurance it's to enjoy where we're alive and being able to do those things um is so important uh, while we're here whatever time we're given I completely agree. And I think it's interesting because I think anyone in this industry or anyone in their life can look back on the stages of development that they went along to come to the conclusions that they're at. And I know that I've certainly had an evolution. I remember when Lucas and I first got married, he had a $50,000 term policy. That was the amount of death benefit. And that was the level of awareness that we had about this whole idea at the time. And granted, this was, uh, I hope I'm calculating correctly. We're going on 14 years, so it was about 13 and a half years ago at this point, and um, and we were just thinking, you know, we don't really need whole life insurance, and 50,000 is enough to be able yeah. to, you know, carry through final expenses and bury him, and then I could move on with my life, and that was really all we thought about life insurance. Fast forward sure. to today, we have a completely different perspective that everyone already knows through the podcast, but um, I want to then ask you, what do you feel when you're talking with clients, what do you feel are the number one, I mean, if, if they're going to buy anything, they have to kind of have a reason for figuring out, well, why do I want to buy this? I mean, if it's, if it's an organic yeah. tofu or if it is, I mean, I don't yeah. personally eat tofu, but let's just say you're buying anything. You're buying a house, you're buying life insurance, you're buying yeah. um, a wedding ring for a, for a future bride, anything you're buying, what do you feel is really important to be able to ask yourself kind of down in the core of your being if this is the right purchase and how yeah. you're thinking about that purchasing decision. So you, you've kind of already alluded to it, but um, I think you always have, like you said, you have to ask yourself, why would I want something? Mm -hmm. Why would I want this involved in my life and my family's life? And um, there's, and specifically about life insurance, there's typically five reasons at least that I see or I hear people telling yeah, me. Yeah, let's, let's hear those. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the first, I mean, you know, if I were to ask either one of you, I, you know, why would you want life insurance? Why do you want it? Well, depending on what education you have about it, um, most people say, well, I want to pay off the home or I want to send my kids to college. You want to pay off the debts, whatever it may be. You want to make sure my wife can, can remarry uh, for love and not for money. I, I was, mm -hmm. I always like to talk about that topic, but um, so that's the first reason it's just, those are, I would bunch all of those into what the first reason, which is family. That's great. Take, yeah. They want to take care of their family. Mm -hmm. The second reason is economic. We don't have probably the time to go into those, that, how that uh, specifically resonates with people. But that's the second reason is economic. The third reason is person B reasons. We might talk about that today, depending on the time. Um, but I think that is one of the most powerful conversations that, that we have with people is uh, putting yourself in the position to spend and enjoy more of your money, giving yourself more control. And I was going to ask you to say what person B is because somebody yeah. would say, well, what is that? That's intriguing. What the heck is that, right? They've yeah. never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. I'm, what is person B? And there must be a person A then. And so what is the difference? So yep. um, we're going to leave that hanging for a second, a little bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Um, so we definitely are going to uncover that. So you said, taking care of family you said economic, economic reasons yep. you said person being B. able to spend and enjoy more of their money which is being person b and yep. we're going to talk about that in a second and and what what other reasons are you hearing legacy and it's not just from the standpoint yeah. that people want to you know be known as riley smith he donated all this money to his church or whatever it's it's maybe you've got a couple of kids that you want to help start their own business Mm -hmm. A legacy can mean something differently to everybody. So 
that's our fourth reason. I think that's really profound, actually. Um, just the idea that your life, your dreams, your goals, your family, your legacy, all of that is going to be extremely unique from person to person. Right. And, yep. and I think having a financial life organized to make your individual fingerprinted life come to fruition is just powerful. Everybody has a legacy. It's just a matter of whether you like it or not. <laughs> and everybody has one. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, good. that's our fourth reason. And then typically, and again, a lot of these reasons people don't know until we start talking about and asking some questions. But the fifth reason is permission slips. Okay, and again, we maybe not, yeah. don't have time for that today, but I would but say briefly, those are the, what do you Briefly, what do you mean by permission slips? Giving yourself the ability, the opportunity, not, not necessarily you have to, but the choice to take advantage of more opportunities that come along your way. Okay. Mm. The permissions, the permission slip to not only spend and enjoy more every money, but something as simple as whether or not we believe social security is going to be there in the future, giving yourself the permission or the permission to take that at different times, because you do have something guaranteed in place that is going to replenish you if something is lost and dignify, which is a death benefit. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more that, go, that goes into that. But I think one of the most important things, and I know we all espouse to this, is that, you know, we are all firm believers that, that money has zero value until you're in a position to spend and enjoy it exactly how you want, when you want, with whom you want. Mm -hmm. And across the board, everybody that they say that to agrees with that. But yet, I don't know, Bruce, you can probably give some feedback here too, but I would say 90 to maybe 95% of the people that come into these calls with us in these meetings are locking themselves out of the enjoyment of that money, therefore the time that they have. Uh, and so I think that's, that's profound. I just want to hang yeah. out there for one second because you just said 90% of the people who are coming into conversations with us, which I mean is probably fairly representative of the country as a whole, or maybe they even have more awareness of their money because they're coming into a conversation to take control about their money. But you're saying 90% don't have that permission to fully enjoy their money. Right. So and why do we want to stay there? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and I think a lot, it's not telling people, it's asking the questions on, on how they feel about things and how they feel about certain opportunities that may or may not come their way. Um, but yeah, those are the five typical reasons. But we, to ask ourselves three questions, the first question was, why would we want it? Yeah. The second question is, of how much you can get, how much would you want to control? And what I mean by that is, if I own a car that's, you know, that's worth 20000 bucks. I can't insure it for a hundred thousand because now I'm going to go wrap it around a tree and get five new cars. Right. <laughs> right. I'm incentivized to do something bad. Mm -hmm. um, so you cannot be overinsured. And one of the things that I, I, I hear a lot is, Oh, I'm, I'm worth more dead than I am alive. Mm. And that is not true. You can't right. over an insurance company will not overinsure you. So the second question is of how much you can get, how much do you want to control? And that third question, when you're buying anything, but specifically life insurance, what type would you want? And at what time in your life would you want that? And so those are some common questions that I ask people and, and help guide them through those because sometimes they don't know mm -hmm. and that's okay. They just simply don't know. I think that you said something else. I mean, just all of this is really impactful for somebody who's listening, but 
the fact that you said sometimes they don't know the answers to those questions and that's okay. I think sometimes we haven't in any area of our life that maybe we're not really well versed or we haven't spent a lot of time thinking or we haven't let our mind travel down the path to really try that on and feel it out. We don't have the right questions to ask. I mean, I asked my daughter the other day, where in the world would you want to travel if you could travel anywhere you want? And she thought about it and she thought about it and she thought about it. And she said, where my cousins live in Lexington, Kentucky. And so, I mean, Lexington, Kentucky is an amazing place, but she's like not even thinking about the whole world. And so we said, well, you know, she said, Virginia, we're looking at a map and she's like, Virginia is really small. It, you could take a, like two steps and you'd be across Virginia. I said, well, it's actually not like that. It's very small in comparison to the rest of the world. And I said, if the world was our house, mm -hmm. this one book on the shelf is probably about the size of Virginia in comparison. She's like, whoa. So she doesn't even know the right questions to ask. She has no idea how to answer the question of where do you want to travel because she's not aware of the possibility or the scope. And I think sometimes we can be like that when it comes to life insurance. It, it can be this overwhelming question. How do I know what I want? I, I mean, I don't know what I should know about this. And I think that conversation can become intimidating to somebody who maybe hasn't considered what life insurance can do for them. And so let's continue to travel down that path a little bit of asking those questions and figuring out what is the answer to what do you want? One of the things that I, I like to discuss is, and I think this would help give some, some clarity to, to be able to answer that question is, I like to talk about the, the four rules of financial institutions. Awesome. And those are, they, they want your money on a systematic or a consistent basis. Number three, for as long as possible. Number four, when you go to get your money, they want to give as little amount back to you as possible. Absolutely. And so yeah. if we use that as kind of a litmus test, I mean, Bruce, you're an old teacher. I mean, you have got a lot of experience, biology and all these different things. If we use that as kind of our objective measuring stick on how we're assessing something. I, that when, I, when I first learned those rules, I was like, oh my gosh, these are everywhere. So if we think about the common things that are promoted out there, mutual funds, 401ks, Roth IRAs, you know, a 15-year mortgage, um, anything that you can think of. It doesn't mean any of those things are inherently bad. I don't think any product is bad. I think mm -hmm. it's more about the strategy, and we talk about that quite a bit. Right. But to be able to answer your specific question, okay, some people think that they don't want whole life insurance or they don't want this or that or whatever it may be because of what they know and what they've heard. They're only reading two chapters of a hundred chapter book. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes my frustration, but those four rules of financial institutions, they're so good at constantly giving us commercials or incentives or whatever it may be um, to have us think a specific way. Mm -hmm. And I guess to get back around to your question is that, that third question of what type would you want and at what time in your life would you want it? I never answer that for people. Mm -hmm. Specifically, what we do is we say, hey, is it important to you to have X, Y, Z things? And they typically say yes. Well, there's only a few ways that we can accomplish that. Well, actually, there's a lot of ways we can accomplish it. But here is one way. And we use a model and a process to verify, test, and measure that. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that we typically can accomplish that with the biggest bang for their buck is by having whole life insurance. And when we do it appropriately, life insurance should cost us this much. And if, for our listeners, they can see me holding up a big fat zero. 
uh-huh. should not cost us anything if we do things appropriately. And I don't know if that answers your question specifically, but um, that's really how I try to line that up and, and help people see things. Perspective. I think that's really helpful because I mean, you pulled multiple threads together, but one being this idea that you can be in control rather than handing that control over to the financial institution. Instead, you can be in this position where whole life insurance specifically allows you to be in control and be like the banker and receive your cash as often as possible, as long as possible, hold it as long as possible, be in control, be able to use your money. So let's switch gears a little bit here. And so why do you think the death benefit specifically of whole life insurance is so valuable? And why do so many people not look at that as the number one thing that stands out about whole life insurance as why they're purchasing it? I'm going to answer the second part of that question first. So help me remember the first part of your question. Why do I think it's so important? But yeah. Bruce could actually speak about this a lot too. I think I think as a whole, the insurance industry has done this to ourselves. I think that's why the death mm-hmm. benefit has devalu- been devalued um, because of something called needs analysis, which yes. I know we've talked about that in a previous podcast and episode and in a blog post. But um, you know, if you both think about 10 or 20 years ago, did either one of you have any idea that you were going to be hosting a podcast or that you'd be sitting here with me? Not a clue. I didn't know either of you. I didn't know about the industry. I didn't even know I was going to be a business owner. Well, I had a desire to be, but that's about about it. But with certainty for a fact, we have no idea what is going to happen tomorrow, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And at least in my experience, I've seen a shift in the insurance industry of selling towards people's quote unquote needs. Mm-hmm. And we're not needs based creatures. We are want based creatures. I don't, I don't want broccoli and carrots every day. Quite frankly, I want steak and potatoes. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but I know that I shouldn't do that every single day probably. Um, and it's what I want, you know, so I, I tend to gravitate towards the things that I want, but ult- ultimately I think it's, it's hard to sell death benefit. It's become harder because of those four rules of institutions, because of a lot of different factors that are out there, because of a lot of financial pundits that maybe aren't quite, quite frankly, as educated on it as what we'd like them to be. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's become something that it's, it's almost like we have this, as human beings, we don't value ourselves. It's like we don't value the, the inherent value that we can bring to our family and our community or whatever else is important to us. And Absolutely. I think that's been a big shift for whatever reason. Right. Riley, this, this could turn into a two hour conversation easily oh, yes. with me. And the, there's a lot of societal reasons why people have downplayed the death benefit, but there's also, I believe some, um, biological reasons why we downplay death benefit. It's a survival technique um, because we don't, we don't want to see our mortality mm-hmm. because, because that, that doesn't allow us to live in the moment and to be as productive as possible sure. as, a, as a species. Now, that's, that's getting way too deep for a lot of people. I understand that. But, <laughs> but this... But, but I think I, you're I, right, though, Bruce. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to think about the end of our life. We want to think about now and what we no, can create. Yeah, and and um, and and then and then we can go over to societal pressures, the breakdown of the family over the last 50, 60 years, 
so that, you know, it's not, I'm doing this for my loved one. Um, we can talk about the more of a, a push towards me, me, me uh, in our society. So, you know, I don't, if I had a dime for every time I sat across the table from somebody and we're talking, we're having this conversation and they say, well, you know, I'm, I've done enough for my kids, you know, they're on their own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I say, well, yeah, maybe they are on their own or not. I don't even have children. And what I'm trying to do is actually take care of society. So like if, um, if I'm not around, I certainly want my wife to be productive. And then when she's not around, I want our legacy to continue on to nieces and nephews and to charities that we've given over and over again, we give money to charities. So we have our trust set up that money's going to go to those charities. I mean, it's a societal issue that can, well, be sol that can be solved very easily if people respected your place and your value in society in a monetary way. Yes. And, and I think that pulls together what Riley was saying as well. And I think, Bruce, I think there's this tremendous desire for people as we live to make an impact on the world. But yet at the same time, if we don't think we're capable of that impact, then we're, we're not going to value ourselves that greatly. But I mean, I think if we really just remove the limitations and we thought, wow, I'm really created for a purpose and I'm meant to be here and I'm meant to leave this greatest impact. Why would we want that impact to stop the moment we die? Right. So you know, it's, it's interesting because <laughs> I asked a client of mine one time, he was kind of giving me the, uh, the usual things that I hear about life insurance and the death benefit. He's like, well, I don't, I don't need that. And uh, my wife will, will actually remarry and she's, she's going to, uh, you know, find somebody rich. I mean, that's, these are literal mm -hmm. things that, I, that I've heard before. And it's, it's, it's actually more common than what most people think it probably would be. But, um, you know, going along those lines, it was almost as if he didn't value uh, what he brought to his family and to his marriage. Oh yeah. And, and it was just a conversation that eventually, you know, I said, well, okay, what if, what if tomorrow you walked into work and your employer said, Hey, I'm a, I want to give you, you've been such a great employee. I want to give you a million dollar piece of paper that says when you pass away, $1 million will go to your family tax free. Would you want that if you didn't have to pay for it? And he's like, well, yeah. Okay, so it's not that you don't want it. It's that mm. you think that you don't need it. That, that's or right. don't, you don't deserve to, it. And you don't want to pay for it. That's yeah. really what it came down to for this guy. But it's, it was just interesting. It's not that people don't want it because if they can find a way to have it and it's not going to cost any additional out-of-pocket money to them when things are done in a holistic, coordinated way like we can do for people, um, the conversation completely changes, completely. Uh, there's so much that I want to talk about with this. So. Um, let's come back to, you shared so many elements that I, I want to be able to focus on. Let's go back earlier in the conversation. You were talking about the five reasons that people sure. might want life insurance. Let's come back to the one that you said, person B. And I know that this might be at the risk of saying, okay, well, let's focus again on you as opposed to focusing on your legacy and contribution to society that you can have. So maybe it is a selfish reason to become a different person and to be able to have more and enjoy more. But what does that mean if life insurance allows me to become person B? What, what's that all about? Well, how about this? How about we go through a, a story, a conceptual example? Um, Perfect. And Rachel, if you don't mind, I'll use you as an example. Awesome. Okay. 
So for those, by the way, for those of people that don't know, Lucas is Rachel's husband. Yes. And so I'm also going to bring Lucas into this story. Okay? Perfect. So you've got one choice to make, but you've got two options. You can okay. either be married to Lucas A or Lucas B. Okay. Yeah, but so they're I'm, both Lucas, right? But they're both Lucas. Okay. Yeah. I'm not just making somebody up. So um, everything is the same across the board. And what I mean by that is they both had the same jobs, uh, same family, same income. They've both been able to build a, a nest egg, a, a, a pile of money, basically. They're going to now, they're both going into retirement. Let's say it's 65. I'm just making these numbers up. And um, they both have to find a way now to survive for the next who knows how long um, off of that money that they built up, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the only difference is this. Lucas B has a piece of paper, just a death certificate, just a piece of paper that says upon his death, $1 million will be paid out to his beneficiaries. That is the only difference. Okay. So I'm going to go back to Lucas A now. First Lucas here. Okay. He's really excited, Rachel, because he's walking into this next phase of your guys' life, retirement. You guys have both worked extremely hard, raised kids, maybe now grandkids. I don't know. Um, okay. But let's just say you both have a million bucks. Okay. You have a million bucks total of assets, cash, whatever it is. And, he, and Lucas is excited. He wants to prepare for this next phase of life. So he goes to a financial seminar. And in this seminar, he discovers, he comes to you and he says, Rachel, I figured it out. I know exactly what we should do. I know that I'm probably going to live to about 85 years old. That's the standard age of males in the U.S. today, right around there. And he says, here's what I want to do. We've worked so hard our entire lives. I want to spend down everything so the day that I die, there's no money left. What do you think, Rachel? What would you say to him? What about me? <laughs> exactly, right? I mean... Because I'm probably going to live longer, right? Probably. I'm younger and life expectancy of females is older. So what happens after you die? What if, what if I'm still here? Yeah. I mean, you're probably coming up with a lot of questions. And oh, yeah. Maybe if it's anything like my marriage, you slap some sense back into him, you know? No slapping in our relationship. <laughs> okay, no slapping, no slapping. Maybe verbally. Verbally. Um, <laughs> you say, Lucas, I, I've done my research too. And what I've found is that we don't want to spend the principal. We don't want to spend that million bucks that we work so hard to accumulate. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we're only going to spend the interest that we earn. And you say, Lucas, we can't really have this invested in the stock market or not a lot of it because we don't want to lose it. We can't afford that. What if we have a health issue or who knows what else can come up in life? So... We'll do some simple math here. If we earn 4%, we're only going to spend 4%, interest only. But what's 4% of 1 million? 40,000. 40,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's your retirement. That's Lucas A. That is what you both have come to agree upon that, hey, that we're going to spend interest only 40,000 bucks a year. That's your first option. Okay. The second option. Not very Lucas- attractive, by the way, because 40,000 <laughs> is not much to live on, especially in Virginia. And especially. Yeah out to that 65 year old mark. I mean, that's going to feel like way less. So now Lucas B, he's all excited and he comes to you and he's gone to a financial seminar with Bruce and the money advantage. And he, he says, Rachel, you know, remember that, remember that death benefit that I bought all those years ago? It's still there. It's going to be there. It's guaranteed to be there. 
He says, here's what I want to do. I want to spend and enjoy more of our money. And we can do that because whenever it is that I die, in this case, I'm, I'm given 85 years old, you're going to get a million dollars tax-free. And therefore, giving yourself the permission to spend and enjoy more of the money. That death benefit actually comes alive and you're able to spend and enjoy that prior to you passing away. Okay. If Are you, you ready for my answer yet? Yes. Which, which person I'd would you say, rather be married to? Let's go. Let's enjoy life. Let's go travel the world. <laughs> right. And, you know, if another quick question <clears throat> is if you knew for a fact guaranteed that a million bucks or whatever amount of money was going to pop up in your account one month from now, it's guaranteed it's going to happen. Would that allow you to live your life a little bit differently? Absolutely. I think the certainty, and we've talked about this before too, the economic value of certainty of having something guaranteed in the future that I absolutely can count on. Yes, absolutely. I have tremendous more confidence. I have peace of mind. I know that I can spend the money that I have today. I'm not having to you know, scrimp and be like, well, the money's there, but I can't really spend it because if I spend it, I might have to be worried tomorrow and I'm, I'm, I might run out. Yeah, there's just tremendous peace of mind and, and the ability to enjoy life freely. And we haven't even talked about any of the other benefits that you, you both do so well here on the podcast. I mean, this is just the death benefit. This is something yes. that is helping us um, have, I, I've heard this scenario one time that whole life insurance is like salt. You pour salt on your steak and potatoes. I don't know why. I must be hungry. I keep You must be. Steak and potatoes. You're making food. me hungry. Yeah. Um, but anytime we pour salt on something, it enhances it, right? It makes it better. And that's really what whole life insurance does is it gives us the ability to enhance everything else that we have going on in our lives, real estate, retirement accounts, whatever it is that we have going on, whatever we espouse to, uh, it gives us the options and flexibility to to unlock those other assets. That's awesome. And I love that you talk about how the death benefit specifically is so valuable because yes, we do spend a lot of time on this show talking about the value of the, the living benefits, specifically the cash value that you can use during your life. And I don't think we necessarily give enough credit and justice and attention and really spotlight that death benefit element, which does give you so much more permission to enjoy your life all along the way. And Riley, I think that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, there's a couple other things that I want to to ask you and to add into the show. You talk about that um, the there's a couple more things that I want to add into the show. And specifically, you had talked earlier about the no cost or having insurance at no cost. And if you could get no cost insurance, wouldn't you want to do that? So what does that mean specifically having no cost? Two things. I can't, well, let me give you an actual story. I have a client, 37 years old. Uh, she's a physical therapist, a great person at this time, doesn't have a whole lot of aspiration to get married or have kids. But um, I asked for her financial documents, and I'm talking auto insurance, home insurance, life insurance, retirement accounts, everything top to bottom, mortgage statements, looked at everything. And when we started to look at that, we found that she kind of had this junk drawer there, nothing was being organized or coordinated or working together. And Which what is we found, really common. It's extremely common. I don't, I don't want to put a number on it, but it's most people that come to see us. Mm -hmm. um, and just from one area in her life, she was overspending, overpaying by 1100 bucks a year for her auto and her home insurance. Oh, wow. Now, I realize that's and not... And very common as well. 
Right. That's not life altering. But if there was eleven hundred bucks that just magically appeared out on your driveway one time a year, would you go out and pick it up? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think everyone would say the same thing. Yeah. So we were able to redeploy that eleven hundred bucks back into her life somewhere else. Now, if that's going on in a small area, what do you think is going on in the rest of somebody's financial life? So Absolutely. In that, that's in that, money leaks. That's money leaks. Exactly what mm -hmm. you guys talk about, what we all talk about. So that was one area. And we actually found that um, we, we found about $10,000 a year that we were able to recapture and put back in her life in a more productive way for her to have more control and flexibility. So that's the first way. Mm -hmm. The second way, and there's more, but just for, for brevity purposes, the second way is go back to our example real quick of Lucas A and Lucas B. Lucas A spent and enjoyed how much money per year? 40,000, 40, right? 40,000, yeah. Okay. So if he lives for 20 years, <clears throat> how much money is that? How much income? 40,000 times 20, that's 800,000. 800, Person B, because they're able to spend and enjoy more of their money, instead of them only spending 4%, they were able to spend maybe 7 or 8%. That's what we typically see is people can almost double their income when they have a death benefit in place. So instead of being able to spend and enjoy 40 like Lucas A, Lucas B spent 80,000. How much did it cost person A to not have life insurance? It cost them $40,000 a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. So that's the other way is it's going to cost you. You're either gonna pay for it by having it or you're gonna pay for it by not having it. And I think when we can get people to understand that, they are in alignment with becoming person A. Let's help educate them and get them to a position where they can at least align themselves and coordinate themselves to become person B. I think that's fantastic. And, and I'm really glad that I didn't just insert my thoughts on that because you just brought a completely fresh perspective. And the additional element that I would add in is that if you are putting money into whole life insurance and even let's say it is a cash value policy and it's building cash value and you have access to more than you put in at whatever point that breaks even, maybe it's usually between years five and nine, it also is no cost because you have access to more money than you've ever paid into the policy. And so because of that as well, you could say, well, there is certainly cost inside the policy, but when you look at the growth of the policy based on the guarantees plus the dividends, you're looking at a position where there is no true cost to you. There's still, still a cost, but the net impact to your life is that there's no cost there. And so there's just so many ways to look at life insurance as being a tremendously valuable tool. And now I want to come back to something as well. You mentioned that whenever you die, having that guaranteed death benefit. Now, this is something that is not possible in term life insurance. It's not even possible in universal or variable insurance. But in your words, Riley, and certainly this is something we talk about as well, but how do you make sure that you have that guaranteed death benefit no matter when you die? Well, in one word, education. It's, it's really educating people on really, we, you know, it's a commitment, first of all. It's something that people need. It's the decision that doesn't need to be taken lightly, should not be taken lightly. Um, but it's also, it's, it's a guaranteed event that is going to happen. And insurance can be the best investment you ever make if something awful happens, <laughs> right? right? Insurance mm -hmm. will have no cost if, if you file and submit a claim. And it can be one of the best things that, that ever happens from an investment perspective. 
well, if we know that death is guaranteed to happen, why not have the one thing in place in our life mm-hmm. that can indemnify that loss, which is death benefit? So how do we make that happen? Well, the only, like as you already alluded to, the only product, the only thing that is guaranteed based on contractual language to be there is a whole life insurance contract. And I know Bruce could speak more on this as well, just based on his years of experience. Um, that kind of opens up a whole can of worms. So. It, yeah, yeah, it does. And we won't get into that. I can hear, you know, people screaming, well, there's guaranteed universal life and there's guaranteed, yep. for, you know, yep. so on and so forth. But it's not guaranteed to work exactly the way it contractually is going to work at the very beginning. Uh, you, yeah, you're going to have some guarantees that it won't lapse necessarily, but not at the same death benefit that Correct. you were prepared for. So, yep. yeah, you're, you're right, Riley. It's uh, it, you, The thing I think that um, – the gist of the entire, the entire podcast is about death benefit is that death benefit should be embraced rather than feared. Oh, and, yes. and, and this is what happens with everybody um, it, because you get mixed messages. It, before, we've talked about this before in other podcasts, but maybe didn't emphasize it. Before the financial service industry was an actual industry, which I would say probably happened in the eighties. Um, there was a, there was a idea that uh, whole life insurance and protecting the family. And once again, we've broken down the family values over this time period. So on and so forth. That, that sound money habits were very important in not only in a family's, um, a family's vision, but also in a nation's vision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 1973, when Nixon took us off the gold standard, if anybody wants to research that, then Nixon actually made the statement, we're all Keynesians now, uh, after John Maynard Keynes. And, and Keynes espouses to the modern theory that debt meet, doesn't mean anything to a, to a country. And when that came about, We've then had the uh, advent of credit cards, which are which are destroying the families now. We had the advent of student loan debt, so on and so forth, and this whole consumption economy that's coming about. Mm-hmm. And um, we've and we've gotten away from sound money habits, which included, and were near and dear to heart at that time, w- was the value of the death benefit. Now you hear the financial service industry say, oh, buy term and invest a difference. You only need the death benefit to protect yourself until you build up this large cash you know, stockpile, um, which is, once again, we, we've talked about this on other podcasts, and, we, and we'll probably talk about it ad nauseum in the future, too. But we've got to get back to the, the idea that a human life is very, very valuable, not only to your family, but to society in general. And yes. when that happens, and when people start realizing that, and, I, and I'm hoping, I, I'm fairly optimistic, I'm hoping we're starting to see that happen again, mm-hmm. uh, because everything works in cycles, you know. It does. Hold it up and, you, and you break it down. I think we're, that's starting to happen again, so. God bless, I hope it does. I hope so too. And I think we do see those cycles come back and we see the values of our grandparents' generations usually or the the generation two cycles before us. And then there's another fascinating read called The Fourth Turning and it talks about the four cycles of, of societies and how Western culture is the only one that we think of our life as linear. We don't think of these 
four year, four generation cycles that tend to repeat over time. And what's just really interesting about all of this is that wherever you are in your financial life right now, you could be saying, wow, this is just so far removed from what I think about right now. And I, and I don't even know how to conceptualize all of these things, but I hope that you're seeing a thread of hope through everything that we're talking about, that there is the ability to value yourself more. There is the ability to have more to spend and enjoy of the same assets that you have today. There is the possibility of finding dollars that you're losing that could be redirected and repurposed in a better way. There is the possibility of putting whole life insurance in place that allows you to not only improve the quality of your family life, to allow them to continue on the life that they want to live and the dreams that you have built together with them, even if you're not here, there is the possibility for you to have more income and enjoy that more in your life and pass on a greater legacy. And, and just to put a um, sort of a cap on the end of this, I shared at the beginning how the value that Lucas and I had in our, in our financial life was just that $50,000 policy. That was the amount of death benefit on him in a term policy. We thought that was sufficient and we thought, well, I'm not actually working and I'm not the breadwinner. And, and we, I think I had a very, old fashioned view of the man is going to be the provider in the family. And here I'm going to be, you know, the, the mom and therefore I'm not going to work and I don't need life insurance. I mean, that was really how I thought at the time and it didn't fit. And it certainly doesn't fit where we are today where we've fast forwarded. I'm not going to take you through the whole process, but now I'm looking at saying, okay, well we both Lucas and I both value ourselves to say we have as much life insurance as we can possibly get, which we know then we'll take care of our girls. If anything were to happen to us, and that just gives me tremendous peace of mind to say, we're not only going to have that legacy be completing, but be able to leave the mark on the world that we want to last because I want my kids to be able to live out the lessons that I teach them and not have to be scrambling and worrying about money. So, so Riley, let's bring the focus back to you and, and your, your life right now. So what would you say is the number one thing maybe that somebody could ask themselves if they were listening to this and maybe for the first time or really just having this awakening, this idea that the death benefit is really important and probably should be much more important to me than I've ever considered before in the past. What would you say maybe is that most important thing that they could do to really discover their values and their needs and be able to really value themselves as much as possible? Wow. That's a fantastic question. No I'll hard my, questions I'll, here. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. Um, I'm a strong believer in, in educating yourself and maybe even a higher level up than that, revealing the truth. I mean, really pursuing the truth for yourself, whatever that is in life. I mean, faith, your relationships, politics, uh, who, whatever, whatever it is. Um, we all have our different passions, but I know an exercise that I've done in the past, and I think this is from Dean Graciosi. I don't want to, I hope I'm right in saying this, but something called the seven levels deep exercise. and it's really asking yourself, let's say it's about your business um, or whatever is important to you. Why do you want to be successful in business? And you give your answer, whatever it is. Well, for me, when I first started on this journey, it was for time and money freedom. Okay, well, why? You just keep asking yourself why and you do that seven times. And what it does is it peels back the layers of what you're really trying to get at. And that you really, quite frankly, uh, even the truth to yourself, because I think sometimes we avoid the things that are difficult and hard. Um, so so I think, true. 
I think constantly pursuing the truth in anything that you do and asking yourself, okay, I heard that, but is that the truth? How do I know it's the truth? And let's go do some some digging. That's probably the fact finder in me. I'm I'm constantly uh, searching for that uh, based on my Colby score. I I want facts, I want data, and I want to know that what I'm listening and more importantly, what I'm telling people, educating people on is the correct thing. Um, That's what I would say, pursue the truth. Yes. Well, and I would say even if somebody is not a fact finder and that's not their top or dominant way of going about the world, I would say the self-awareness is extremely critical to be able to figure out, I mean, not only why am I here in this world, what's the greatest impact I want to be able to leave? How can I do that most effectively? What do I really, really want? And why in the world do I want that? And how can I create that? I think you're absolutely on the right path of asking those, those deep questions hard questions. And and I I would encourage anyone who's listening to really be able to dig into those questions to really figure out how you can make your financial life line up with that life that you want to create. Yep. That's great. One, one question that has changed. This is the last thing that I'll say, and I know we got to wrap up here, but um, one question that has really changed my life is what amount of joy have you experienced today? And I, oh, I don't know, it just, um, I asked myself that and I asked my wife that and some other friends and family and, and they just kind of have this blank stare at me sometimes, you know? Yeah. But think about that. I mean, what amount of joy have you experienced today? Are you really, and I'm not saying that you should always pursue what you're passionate about. I think that can get people in trouble sometimes too, mm-hmm. but you know, what amount of joy, what kind of joy have you experienced today? And if it's not the answer you like to hear, then it's time to make a change. Ah, oh, Riley, this went really deep today. This is awesome. I love it. So um, if you are looking for a very soulful conversation about life insurance, this is the place you need to be. So, so um, Riley, thank you so much for just really being able to share your heart in this conversation today. I think that it was just tremendously valuable and eye-opening for anyone who's listening and maybe a different flavor than we always have on the show, but I think it's just super, super valuable Um, for anyone who is just figuring out what this life is all about and how we can really, really not only make a difference, but become and be the people that we really want to be. And how can we experience that maximum joy every day? So um, we will make sure that you have all of the links in the show notes for anything we've mentioned, including that seven levels deep exercise, which is awesome. I want to also share for our listeners, we have the quick and easy privatized banking guide for investors that shows you how you can use life insurance, specifically cash value, whole life insurance to be able to borrow against it and put that money to work in cash flowing assets and boost those investment returns. We also are just about to release. And at the time of this podcast, it's not live yet, but it will be in just a moment. So as you are listening to this podcast, we probably have available for you in the show notes the privatized banking course, which is privatized banking secrets, a candid conversation about whole life insurance, where you're going to get more of this awesomeness. So you can really understand what life insurance is all about. If you are trying to figure out what it means to you, what it means to your financial life and what you really want. So I invite you to check out themoneyadvantage.com today. The other thing that I will mention as well is if you are ready for a conversation where you can really just say, hey, here's what I want out of life and here's where my financial life is right now and how can I get organized? How can I find those money leaks? How can I make sure that I can use as much of my money as possible and really enjoy it 
we would love to have a conversation with you. So you can book on our calendar, themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar. Again, we'll have that link in the show notes. And that's, that's going to be it for today, but we have a lot of opportunities and resources available to you. And Riley, I just want to say thank you for being willing to be on the Money Advantage team and for being willing to do this show today. This was tremendous. Yeah, thanks to both of you. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure not only getting to know everybody, but uh, being here today as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.